The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the 21st chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. When some were speaking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, Jesus said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. They asked him, Teacher, when will this be, and what will be the sign that this is about to take place? And he said, Beware that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name and say, I am he, and the time is near. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first, but the end will not follow immediately. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and plagues, and there will be dreadful portents and great signs from heaven. But before all this occurs, they will arrest you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an opportunity to testify. So make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance, for I will give you words and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, by relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but not a hair on your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your souls. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Grace and peace to you from our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you, if you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too, if you can wait and not be tired by waiting, or being lied about, don't deal in lies. Or being hated, don't give way to hating. And yet, don't look too good, nor talk too wise. If you can dream and not make dreams your master. If you can think and not make thoughts your aim. If you can meet with triumph and disaster. And treat those two impostors just the same. If you can bear to hear the truth you've spoken. Twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools or watch the things you gave your life to broken, and stoop and build them up with worn-out tools. If you can make one heap of all your winnings and risk it on one turn of pitch and toss, and lose and start again at your beginnings, and never breathe a word about your loss. If you can force your heart and nerve and sinew to serve your turn long after they are gone, and so hold on when there is nothing in you, except the will which says to them, hold on. If you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue, or walk with kings nor lose the common touch, if neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you, if all men count with you, but none too much, if you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, yours is the earth and everything that's in it, and which is more, you'll be a man, my son. This well-known poem entitled If by Rudyard Kipling was written in 1910 in the form of fatherly advice to the poet's son, John. And the poem is about what to do when the world is pressing in on you, 
when the cares and chances of life threaten to overwhelm you, how to persevere and stay the course and to become a person in full. This poem came to mind for me this week as I read our scripture readings for today, which are admittedly a little unusual. These readings, as they typically do this time in the church year, come from a genre in the Bible called apocalyptic literature. And so just as the Bible is made up of lots of different books, it's also made up of different types of literature, like poetry and the Psalms or the letters of Paul or the Gospels, which are story designed to inspire faith or prophecy or historical narrative and more. And then there is apocalyptic literature, which is essentially about the end of the world. It is fantastical and heavy on imagery and hyperbole and a little outrageous, for such are the times they seek to describe or anticipate. As we encounter these readings again today, it is a good reminder here in our time that when we say the world is falling apart or the world is going to hell, well, pretty much everybody else in human history has thought that very same thing. Across the centuries over which the Bible was written, there have been moments of crisis, as in the book of Daniel, or the destruction of the temple that Jesus is talking about in the gospel. There's been exile and occupation. Paul today is anticipating the return of Jesus and the book of Revelation, which responds to Roman persecution, just to name a few. And so much of the Bible, it turns out, is about what to do and how to live when the world feels like it is falling apart or ending, whether globally or in our own individual lives. It asks, what do we do? How do we behave? What does it mean to be a Christian in these moments? And it offers advice, examples, and words of hope in much the same way Kipling gives advice to his young son. Though mercifully, Kipling, to his immense credit, is much easier to understand. As Paul writes, some members of the Thessalonian church, because of their belief that the end of the world and Jesus' return were imminent, had stopped working and were living off the generosity of other members of the community. Jesus was coming back, so they thought there was no need to work. Or, if we were to read between the lines, they were probably using that as an excuse. So Paul warns them bluntly that if they want to eat, they need to work. Paul tells them not to be idle, but instead to contribute to the life of the community, to imitate Paul who, when he was with them, worked night and day. He says, do not grow weary in doing what is right. Continue to follow Jesus and take your cues from his example and instructions. It's interesting here that Paul does not deny that Christ is coming back. He doesn't say that the world, end of the world is not near, perhaps a little delayed, but still coming. And yet, for the sake of the Christian community and for the sake of the Christian witness and for the sake of the gospel, he urges people to get to work, to pitch in, and to be about doing God's work in the world. This exchange with the Thessalonians reminds me of a famous quote attributed to Martin Luther, who once said, even if I knew that tomorrow the world would go to pieces, I would still plant my apple tree. Even if I knew that tomorrow the world would go to pieces, I would still plant my apple tree. In fact, Luther himself believed that his world was falling apart and that the end was near. 
He believed that the Pope in his time was the Antichrist written about in the book of Revelation. And at that time, the ground was shifting under everybody's feet, intellectually, theologically, and politically, and Luther's own life was in danger. And what was his response? To plant an apple tree, to choose hope, to nurture life, to write like he was running out of time, even in the face of the end of the world. This week, I had the privilege of quite literally planting several trees. I tell you, there's a lot of research that goes into these sermons. Um, it was actually a project for my daughter, Ellie, um, who, a project that she created with her friend, Riley, for their environmental sciences class at Upper Dublin High School. They had to propose a project for class that would make their community more green. And so they thought it would be a good idea to plant trees on the Lockash fields uh, at the corner of Lockash and Fort Washington Avenue. But it didn't just remain a hypothetical class project. They actually did it. They worked with township officials, raised money for it all summer on GoFundMe, and in the end they raised $990, enough to plant 13 trees. A combination of red maple, honey locust, sugar maple, swamp white oak, and pin oak trees. And this week, we planted them with the help of the Upper Dublin Shade Tree Commission. We dug the holes and set the roots, packed them with soil and made sure the trees were straight. We filled the holes, replaced the sod, watered them, covered the earth with leaves, and zip-tied plastic mesh around the trunks to make sure the deers weren't rubbing up against it. It was such a positive and hopeful and tangible thing that we did to green and to help our community provide shade for sports spectators, and offer some beauty in a busy part of town. Do you mind if I tell you one more story about my amazing kiddo? <laughs> At the same time that Ellie and Riley were dreaming up this project, this tree project, Ellie had become aware of something called period poverty. That is, how many women lack access or can't afford period products. And so last year for her birthday, her 16th birthday, Ellie said to us, I don't want presents. I want you to buy period products so we can create care packages for women in need. And her birthday party became a packing party, and they donated 180 care packages, each with enough products for one cycle, to a women's place, the domestic shelter where Bill and Irwin's daughter Lark works. And after that experience, she and her friends wanted to do more. And so they started a GoFundMe page for that, and they raised $1,720 and received a large donation from Athena Club to create even more care packages. The 16-year-old is showing her family, her friends, her community, and her school what one does to respond to human need and at what some would call the end of the world at least as we know it. <laughs> Ellie is planting trees literally, and she is spreading care and kindness to others. In the face of apocalypse, change, chaos, unprecedented times, many of us can become kind of paralyzed, whether it's out of anger or fear or grief or apathy. We start to wonder if anything can really be done about it, or what difference one person or a small group of people can make. 
but our young people have so much to show us about how we rise to meet such moments. I'm reading a book now for the second time called Station Eleven uh, in my favorite genre of dystopian futures. I don't know why. But in this book, a global catastrophe takes place, drawing a line in human history, which people refer to as the line between the old world and the new world. And I think we can wind up doing the same thing, lamenting about how things were and therefore missing out on how things might be because it's all the same world, one world, our world. As Frederick Buechner once wrote, here is the world, beautiful and terrible things will happen. Do not be afraid. I think that for some, there is the sense that the world is too far gone to be saved. And what I hear is a sense of helplessness, and even more deadly, a sense of hopelessness. We become passive, passive observers, paralyzed, watching the world fracture. We are, in Paul's words, idle, not because we're lazy or taking advantage of the community, but because we feel helpless, helpless to fix it, helpless to change the world because it seems somehow too late. Yet as our youth remind us, it's not too late and we are not helpless. And as we see in our readings, this is all nothing new. And so what does Paul say to us in this? Get to work. And Luther, plant your apple tree. We are not helpless and we are not innocent. Our action and inaction makes a huge difference in a world where the stakes have never been higher. If we tell ourselves the world is falling apart and there's nothing that we can do to stop it, then it will. And yet even the smallest acts of love and forgiveness and healing can repair our world. Whenever Jesus does come back, we'll be with him. But until then, we ought to be going about planting trees. In the midst of human brokenness and suffering, in the midst of a planet in turmoil, we plant our trees. Trees which are symbols and reminders and harbingers of life that take in our toxicity and breathe out fresh air, whose roots and canopies hem us in above and below who shelter us, whose leaves speak to us about the wind blowing through the world, just like the Holy Spirit. We are called to plant our trees right in the middle of a hurting world, in the midst of famine and thirst, on the battlefield, in the park that the homeless call home, in the middle of broken relationships, in the midst of our loss and grief. These are the places and so many more where we plant our trees. Yes, Jesus is coming back, but God is here now. Yes, when Jesus comes, we will live forever and the world would be perfect. But while we wait, let us not neglect the gifts that we have been given and the life that we have here and now. And it seems to me that this is precisely what God did in Jesus. God planted a tree in the world that was falling apart. God sent Jesus to be born in oppressed and occupied Bethlehem, born in a small stable on the darkest night, a vulnerable God born into a vicious world. God planted a tree, the cross, in a place called Golgotha, the place of the skull, a place of death, outside of Jerusalem, right in the middle of the world's darkest day. God planted the cross, a tree that brings life out of death for us and the world. 
For as we read in our gospel, even when things seem to be breaking apart, the very foundations of the world appear to be shaking loose and betrayal is coming from every side. Jesus reminds us to take a deep breath and to trust him for the words we need to speak and the actions we need to perform. And in so doing, by our endurance, we will gain our souls. Not our salvation, which we already have, but our souls. That place where love and peace and hope live in us. And even in the midst of challenging days, we will claim the life that Jesus died to give us and pass on that life to others and to the world. And day after day, and day after day, after day after day, we will plant our tree. Amen.